great to see you here today. If you're in the house or you're worshiping online, we are blessed to have you here and worshiping with us today. Today is Big Give Sunday, all right? It's Big Give Sunday. And uh, let me tell you what that means for those of you that may be new. Big Give Sunday is one day out of the year when we when we really set aside a special day to give a special gift, financial gift, to a special cause that God has put on our heart to give. We've done this for the last several years now, and it is a day that's exciting. It's a day of celebration. It's a day that we get to join together for something great. A really big give Sunday is a Sunday when vision becomes reality. When we step out of the conceptual and right into the practical and putting to work the things that God has for us to do. And you know what? I can think about those times in the past and how God has moved in the past. Just a couple of years ago, we did a Big Give Sunday and you gave over $400,000 to local community ministries. And because of your generosity, there, there were... Uh, Food pantries expanded so more families that were hungry received food. Because of your giving, there were baby beds purchased so that a ministry to teenage moms could have a place for their children. Because of your giving, there was literally an expansion of a facility to house homeless men so that they could have a, a place to stay and could be discipled in the gospel. Because of your giving, there was a program created to mobilize families to serve the poor in their local community. All that happened because of your financial gifts. You may never meet those people face to face, but they were ministered to because of your giving. Then last year, we took it up a notch. And you gave, get this, $700,000 last year to the Big Give. And that allowed us to create what is called the Cross Creek Network, where we are now planting churches all over the world. It, it allowed us to create a residency where we can train up church planters like Charles that you just saw to prepare them to go and to plant churches. And it's enabling us to plant a church in Justin, Texas, uh, a fast-growing area just northwest of here that will launch in January of this year. So because of your gifts in the past, we're seeing God do things all over the world. And so today, in this year's Big Give, we're taking up even another level and we're asking God for a million dollars to plant a church in New York City. Charles will be the church planter that you just met and his wife Jordan. Uh, they feel called to New York City. And so you may say, well, where are we going to plant? We're going to plant it in a neighborhood called Hamilton Heights. Hamilton Heights is just northwest of Central Park just adjacent to Harlem. It's a very uh, ethnically diverse church, a very, I mean, a community, very, very socioeconomically diverse community. It's really sandwiched between large universities that are there. And it's a place that's been hit hard by COVID. It's a place that's been hit hard by racial tension, but we believe that it is a place that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, a church who will preach the gospel and make disciples that will make disciples. And so today, as you give to the Big Give, 100% of those gifts designated for Big Give will go to planting and sustain this church for four years until it can get on its feet and become self-supporting. So really, this is an exciting day. It's a day when we give a not for just serving, serving ourselves, but for the kingdom purpose. And that's pretty exciting stuff. Don't you think so? Hey, can we just celebrate what God's already done in the past? 
of what God's going to do. That's right. So, and I, I would look forward to Big Give because Big Give is a day of celebration. We're celebrating God's goodness, celebrating generosity, celebrating giving. But you may say, well, Craig, why do we do this? I mean, every year it comes around. It's in November every year. Why do we do a Big Give? Why would we take up an offering and give so generously to something that's not going to impact me directly? Well, that's a really good question. I want to answer that out of God's Word, all right? So once you get your Bible, once you open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to land uh, today, beginning at verse 6. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just kind of set the stage for what we're about to read. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. And he is writing about a special offering that he's asking them to uh, give to to support another church. So it's very similar to what we're doing today. And of course, the church in Jerusalem was the first church. It was the first church created. And the Apostle Paul uh, came out of that ministry. He went on to travel three different missionary tours and planted multiple churches all over Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey and into Greece. And yet, by the time he's writing this, the church in Jerusalem had fallen on hard times. Persecution had come, hardship had come, many of them had lost their jobs, they were hurting. And Paul thought it was fitting that the churches that had benefited from the church's ministry in Jerusalem should then participate in giving back to the mother church, to help the mother church. And so God put it on his heart to raise up funds from these churches that he had planted to give back to the church in Jerusalem. And he wasn't raising money for his own ministry. He wasn't raising money to line his own pockets. He was raising money for the church in uh, Jerusalem there. And over a year ago, he had talked to the Corinthian church about this, and they said, yeah, we're in. We want to be a part. You're right. They've given so much to us. We want to give back. And so they said that they wanted to give, but now it's been about a year, and he's about to send somebody to collect the offering, and he doesn't want them to go, oh, yeah, I kind of remember you saying something about that, but wow, whoo, I'm not really ready for that. So he writes in his letter here, hey, this is coming. Get ready. I don't want you to catch this. I don't want this to catch you off guard. And so look at verse 5. He says, Therefore I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead uh, to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it would be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. In other words, all right, I'm going to send some guys ahead. They're going to collect this offering we've been talking about. But I don't want this to come to you and catch you by surprise so that you feel like your arm's being twisted. All right? This is not about compulsion. This is not about making you feel guilty. I'm just getting ahead of this because you said this was in your heart to give a generous gift to the church back in Jerusalem. Now, in many ways, the big give, we talk about this every year. This is something we do year after year. And we've been talking about this big give for the last month about New York City and the need for a church plant and how we're going to be able to give together to make that happen. But today is not about arm twisting. Today is about seeing what God wants to do in our hearts and to how we can give to impact those that we will never really fully see face to face. So why do we do that? That's when we get into verse 6. He really starts to talk about the, the why of giving. And uh, in fact, actually in verse 6, he kind of lays out a principle here for us. So let's look at it. This is God's word. He said, the point is this. 
The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now stop right there for a minute. Underline that, and right out by the side of it, put principle. He's giving a principle here. He's drawing language out of agriculture. He says a farmer that just sows out a few seeds is only going to get a little crop. Right? A farmer that throws out a lot of seed is going to have an opportunity for a much larger harvest or a much larger crop here. And so he's saying this is a principle in life. What you reap is what you sow. Apostle Paul uses this in Galatians 6. says the same thing. What you reap is what you sow. It's a principle of life. Think about it in a positive way. If you work really extra hours at the office, chances are you're going to be more successful than the guy that can't make it uh, every, you know, on a regular basis. If you put extra effort in your grades and you work really hard, then you're probably going to make the better grade. If you, if you spend more time with your kids intentionally, then you're going to reap a deeper relationship with your children than those who don't. If you're an athlete and you put in workouts before and after practice and you go above and beyond, your chances are good. You're going to do better on the field, right? What, what you put into life is what you get out in many respects. And so Paul's talking about that with regard to their giving. He said, if you live your life pinching every penny, uh, holding on to every dollar bill you're given, uh, living with a chintzy mindset, then, then you're not going to live the fullest life. But if you give generously and if you care for others and you give to those who cannot even give back to you, you will live a richer, fuller life. You'll live a blessed uh, life. Now, let me make sure that uh, you understand what he's not saying here. He's not preaching uh, prosperity gospel here. He's not doing the health and wealth sermon, all right? You've heard those guys, you know, on TV, you, you've got to sow a seed of faith, right? If you sow the seed of faith, then God's going to open up heaven to fill up your bank account, right? You've, you've heard that before. And the pressure and the, and the manipulation to get you to give to this, this ministry, that is, that is like the opposite of what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, we're not arm twisting you. We're not trying to catch you by surprise. We're not pressuring you. But here's what he is saying. He's saying if you invest in temporal things, then you'll, you'll only have a temporary legacy. If you invest in eternal things, you will have an eternal reward and an eternal legacy. I guess you could put it this way. Your investment determines your legacy. Your investment determines your legacy. How are you investing only in temporary things? Or are you investing in eternal things? Are you investing only in temporal things or are you investing in eternal things? And what Paul is saying to this church at Corinth is, I want you to invest in things that last for eternity. You know, we talk a lot about ROI, right? The return on investment. But Paul is talking about the E-R-O-I, the eternal return on investment. And he's not saying that you may, you may receive a lot of financial reward here on earth. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. That's not what's promised, but you will have an eternal reward. And Jesus even talks about storing up treasure in heaven. How do you do that? By making eternal investments. And that's really what we're doing today. When you give to the big give, you're making an eternal investment. You're investing in things that will last for eternity, that will shape eternity, that will impact someone's eternity. And so how do you leave an eternal legacy? 
That's the question. How do you do that? So Paul really very practically in this passage, I'm just going to walk through it, just kind of teach it to you verse by verse. This is how you do it. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this first thought down. First thing you need to do to leave an eternal legacy is check your heart. Check your heart. Look at verse 7. He said, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion since God loves a cheerful giver. He said, first thing you do is check your heart. He didn't say, first thing you do is check your balance, all right, in your account. First thing you do is check your portfolio. First thing you do is check and see if you, you know, if, if this is something you can do. That's not what he says. The first thing is check your heart. What is your attitude toward giving? Now, let's just be honest. For some people, they don't have a great attitude toward giving, right? Some people, they they just think well, all, the, all the church wants is my money. In fact, that may be you. May, oh, no, here we go. The one ton, Sunday I came to church happens to be Big Give Sunday, right? The church, all they did is want my money. I had a friend of mine. He's not a believer. And he used to say all the time, church just wants my money. And you may be thinking the same thing. But what I want you to understand is when Paul is writing this, he's saying, listen, God, God doesn't want somebody that gives reluctantly. Or even says, gives under compulsion. You know what a reluctant giver is like? It's someone that goes, well, I gave, but I really didn't want to, right? I gave, but I sure could have used that money somewhere else. Do you know what that cost me? I gave a lot to that. You wouldn't want a gift like that. Would you want somebody to give a gift to you at Christmas like that? Here's your gift. Oh, man, thank you. Well, I really didn't want to give it. You know, that cost me a fortune. You know how much that cost me? You know what I could have done with that money? Gosh, wow. Can't believe I did that, All right? You would, you're like, okay, dude, just take it back. I mean, I, who wants that kind of gift? Well, listen, God doesn't want it either. He said, I'm, I'm not looking for someone who gives reluctantly. I'm not looking for someone who gives because they feel under pressure or they feel manipulated. Quite the opposite. God said, what I'm looking for, what I love and then, by the way, don't overlook that. It says God loves this. God's fired up about this. Something in the heart of God moves toward this. He loves a cheerful giver. Someone that's excited to give. Someone who wants to give. Someone that receives joy in giving. He loves someone, get this, that understands that when I give, I get to be a part of something God is doing and I get to be a part of the eternal reward. Do you understand that? When you give to something that God is doing, you will receive an eternal reward. You get a part, a piece of this eternal reward. Listen, not every one of you are going to get to go live in New York. Some of you may. God may put on your heart, hey, we're going to move for a year and live in New York City and walk alongside Charles and Jordan and plant this church. God bless you. Wouldn't that be awesome? God may lead you to do that, but most of us are not going to do that. But just because you don't Go to New York and live in New York and be hands-on that ministry doesn't mean you don't have a part of the reward because when you give that enables them to do it, you receive that reward. There's a story in 1 Samuel 30, chapter 30, of David, King David, and he has his men, and they're going out to fight a battle, but not everybody can go out and fight the battle. Some have to stay back with the women and children and supplies and so on. And, and so he makes a very important statement at this point. He said, 
those who stay with the stuff and those who fight on the battle share equally in the rewards. Isn't that interesting? If you go or if you stay, but you allow them to go, then everyone shares equally in the reward. Listen, what I want you to know is when you give to the big give, you are able to receive and participate in the reward of all those that will come to faith in Christ through this church plant, all the lives that will be changed. You get a part, you get a piece of that reward in heaven, an eternal reward. So the first thing you do is check your heart. I mean, is it negative? Is it critical? Or is it joyful and eager and ready? And then the second thing you got to do as you're looking at your heart is check what God has put on your heart to give. I want you to notice what he says here. Don't, don't miss it. He says each person should do what he has decided in his heart. In other words, giving is something that's between you and God. It's a private decision. It's a private matter. It, Paul does not tell them how much they should give. He doesn't even give them a percentage to give. He just said, you need to ask God what you should give, what God has put on your heart to do so and to do it willingly and uh, joyfully. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 4, Jesus talking about giving, which he did talk quite a bit about it, he said you should give in secret. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that it's completely anonymous, but what it does mean is you're not waving around and telling everybody how much you give so that people can look at you or say, well, I'll give that as long as my name's on the building, you know, or whatnot. But that you're giving it unto the Lord. You're giving it in obedience to God, see? It's, a, it's, it's to be done in secret. This is something that you give that, that God puts on your heart to give. I remember a friend of mine named Jack Humphreys. Jack was a successful businessman. He was older uh, when I knew him. He had, he had made millions. He had lost millions. He had made them back again. He was a very entrepreneurial kind of guy. And he had come to faith in Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade. And so he was a godly man, loved the Lord. And one day he was having his time with God, reading his Bible at home. And he read the verse Haggai chapter 1 verse 4. This is what it says. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while the house remains a ruin? Now this passage is talking about the temple. The temple was in ruin. And he's kind of... Uh, Confronting these people that live in their houses are great. Their houses are paneled houses, but God's house is a wreck. And Jack read that passage and he looked around in his study at the nice, ornate paneling all over his home. And he said, God spoke to me because the church that he attended was an inner city church that was trying to raise money to expand the building to reach an inner city group of kids. And he said, that day God said, is it time for you to sit in your paneled house when my house needs attention? And he said, you know, in that moment, God told me to give. Now listen, I don't think that just happens to Jack. I think that happens to any believer that is willing to ask God what we should do. To really, just in your own heart, say, God, what do you want me to give? See, not all of us have the same ability to give. Some of us have more money than others. We all know that. But all of us have, should have the same availability to give. We should always be available and ready and eager to give what God has put on your heart. I'm a strong believer that, that if, if you just ask God, 
God, what do, you, what do you want me to give? And if you will be obedient to what God has put on your heart, we will always have plenty, right? We will always have enough. I, we don't have to arm twist. We don't guilt around here. You know, and this is true, I don't hardly ever talk about money. We don't pass a plate. We have a box in the back. You know, we, we downplay that so much, maybe more than we should, because there's a spiritual benefit of giving. But the point is this, if you will just do what God puts on your heart, then, then you will be benefited and the ministry will be benefited. The churches will be planted. Those that hear the gospel will receive them. And so you gotta check your heart first. What's your attitude and what has God put on your heart to give? That's the first thing, check your heart. Second thing, jot this down, is to trust God to provide. You gotta trust God to provide. Look at verse eight. Now, I just want you to know in advance, verse eight, verse nine, and verse 10 is a continuous thought. Verse 8 is a statement or a promise. Verse 9 is an illustration. Then he comes back to verse 10 and nails it again. Okay, so I'm just kind of telling you where I'm going here. Look at verse, look at verse 8. He said, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. By the way, did you get all the everys in there? Every, every, every. This is a promise that God gives to givers. I really believe that. I believe in the context he's talking about giving. So this is a unique promise that God gives to givers. If you will give, then what do you say? God will make every grace flow in your life. You will have everything that you need. He will, he will equip you for every good work that he's put on your heart to give. He will go before, he will provide for you, he will take care of you. Now listen, it does not say that God's gonna give you a windfall and your, your rich uncle's gonna remember you and you're gonna get a million dollar check in the mail, all right? He doesn't say that. But what he does say is you'll have everything you need because God is putting this on your heart. As you step out in faith, he's gonna provide for you. That's a, a promise he gives to givers. And then in verse nine, he kind of illustrates that. He says, as it is written. Now, when you see the phrase, as it is written, that means he's always referring back to an Old Testament verse. Now, here, he's going to quote Psalm 112. So, right on the side of your Bible, Psalm 112, verse 9. He's quoting this. He says, as it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. What is he doing? He's drawing back to the psalm in Psalm 112 that describes a generous man. Psalm 112 is a picture of a person. And this person uh, is fair in his business dealings. He fears the Lord. He loves God. He is compassionate to the poor. He is merciful. He loves, he has a positive, generous attitude. And he loves to give. And he goes, remember this guy in Psalm 112? And then he reminds him, he gives freely. He's not living like this. He's living like this. He gives freely. He has compassion for the poor and the needy. He's, his heart is bent toward the things that bends God's heart. And then it says that his righteousness lasts forever. His righteousness continues. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about legacy. His righteous lifestyle is now lived on in his children and in his grandchildren and in his great-grandchildren because he has set the example let me ask you something, is that your legacy? 
Do your children go, man, I want to be like dad. I want to be like mom. How, how godly, they love the Lord, how they're fair in the way they do business, how they have an eternal perspective, and they're generous to the things of God. And so I want to be generous to the things of God, and my children are generous in the things of God. And you have this multi-generational legacy behind you. Are your, are your children and grandchildren loving God even more than you do? Because they see your heart and your passion for the Lord and for eternal things. That's what God wants in you. That's what he wants. And, and when you give, you're able to set that in motion that will last from generation to generation. So he goes, look, God's going to take care of you, verse 8. Verse 9, remember the guy in Psalm 112? God took care of him. And then look at verse 10. Look at what he says. Now... The one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God's going to take care of you. If you just put, give what God puts on your heart, if you just give what God puts on your heart, then listen, God's going to multiply your seed. He's going to take care of you. He's going to meet your needs. But more than that, look at what he says here. He says, and he is going to increase the harvest of your righteousness. That doesn't mean that you are earning your salvation by giving, but it, what, what it means is he's going to grow you spiritually. He's going to increase your relationship with God. He's going to grow in a depth of relationship with God. He's going to mature you spiritually. He's going to grow you spiritually as you go through this process of having heard what he put on your heart and being obedient to give. God grows you in the process of it. Some of the greatest times of spiritual growth in my own life were times when God told us to give. I mean, there was a time when Liz and I were living below the poverty level, all right? I mean, literally, I'm not, that's not a preacher story. That's like for real. And, and we'd be like, okay, well, after we paid the bills and we eat, you know, we got this much left. What do we do with that? And we just, all right, we're going to give it and trust God for it. And those were times that God began to grow us in our marriage and grow us in our walk with God. And God began to show up in ways that I'm just so thankful for. Listen, God wants to grow you. God wants to mature you. And that happens as you trust him and as you give. Listen, so your investment really determines your legacy. How are you living for temporal or eternal investments. How are you going to live for eternal investments? Well, you got to check your heart. You got to trust God to provide for you. And then here's a, here's a third thing. Give thanks. As you give, give thanks. As you give, give thanks. Look at verse, look at verse 11. We'll stop here. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Underline those words, produces thanksgiving to God through us. Listen, this week, this week we are going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And COVID or no COVID, we're going to eat turkey. Amen. And uh, some of you are going to gather with family and friends and you're going to sit at a table and you're going to fold your hands together in prayer and you're going to thank God and you're going to thank God that you have a roof over your head and that you have family in your life that you love. You're going to thank God for Jesus and for the salvation that you have. You're going to thank God that you have a car to drive that gets you to work and back. You're going to thank God that your kids have a school to go to. 
You gotta thank God for the freedoms that we have in this country. You gotta thank God for all his blessings. And that's a good thing, we should do that. But listen, I said this last week and I just kinda wanna restate it again, just in case you forgot. It's one thing to thank God for what he's done to you. But it's a whole different thing to hear others thank God for what he's done through you in their life. And we very seldom get to hear that. But God wants to work through you. He wants you to be a channel that he can use to bless others and sometimes people you never see. So I want you to use your imagination for just a moment. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about Thanksgiving three years from now. Thanksgiving 2023. The scene is in New York City. The place is an upstairs high-rise apartment where a mom is in Hamilton Heights and she's gathered around a small kitchen table with her teenage son and her middle school daughter. That mom works two jobs to make ends meet. She's a single mom and it's really hard. Their kids don't go to very good schools. There's a lot of bad influences in their life. But this Thanksgiving, they have a small meal and they sit down together. And as they sit, mom begins to pray. And she says something like this, Lord, I thank you for providing this meal for us. Lord, we know everything that comes to us comes from your loving hands and we're so thankful that you provided for us. And then she looks at her son and she says, and Lord, I thank you for my son because my son just came to Christ this year. And I thank you for the church we're going to. They just started a couple of years ago, but they reached out to my son and they shared Jesus with him and he now knows you. And Lord, I thank you for my daughter that she's finding Christian friends in this little church. And Lord, I thank you for the friends that we have in this church. And Lord, I thank you for Pastor Charles and how he preaches your word every Sunday. And thank you that we can worship you, God. Thank you that that's a family for us. And then she pauses and she says, and oh Lord, Lord, I know that there's some people out in Texas somewhere, I don't even remember the name of the town, but they gave to allow this church to be started. So Father, would you bless them? I'll never see them, but God, would you thank them for me? Folks, we serve a God who sees the end from the beginning. And he knows that family's need. And the same God that knows their need in 2023 is the same God moving in our hearts today to give. So that we can plant this church that will not only meet families like this one, but many, many more. That's eternal investment. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment?
And I just want you to be still before the Lord for these few minutes and ask God, God, what are you putting on my heart to give? What are you putting on my heart? Lord, what do you want? What would please you, God? What kind of giving would you love to see in and through us? Father, we love you so much. And God, you are the ultimate giver. When we were far from you, God, you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in you will not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And now, Lord, because we're a part of your family, you call us to be a mirror and a reflection of your generosity as we give to eternal things. Lord, thank you for all that you've blessed us with. We are wealthy beyond measure. We have been given so much. Lord, I pray that you would take your thoughts and impress them on our hearts, God. What you want and impress them on our hearts. And that God, we would be obedient to give as you tell us to give. Whatever you have put on our heart to give, God, that we would give it joyfully, knowing there's an eternal reward ahead for us. And Lord, I pray that these gifts that we collect together, we give to this New York City plant. God, I pray that they would be more than enough to plant a church that will be a light, that will lift up Jesus, that will make disciples and make disciples to the ends of the earth. So Lord, we want just Thanksgiving to rise up like incense before you, God. Thankfulness that rises up from the giver. Thankfulness that rises up from the receiver of your goodness. That you would receive all the glory and praise. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.